Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. All right, Film Geeks, today's class is all about The Little Mermaid, the remake nobody asked for. Does it sink or swim? Let's talk about it. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of All Right, Let's Talk About It. My name is Savannah. I am your host. I do film reviews and film industry commentary. So yeah, y'all, I bit the bullet. I went ahead and I saw The Little Mermaid. Now, I've been saying for about a year that I really just had no interest in seeing this movie. And I meant what I said. There was nothing in me that's even remotely curious. Now, I didn't really start to get curious until the reviews started coming in. And I live on RottenTomatoes.com. Live on it. And that's where I get a lot of the artwork that I do for my YouTube thumbnails. So I've, I've always been that girl, though. I've uh, Box Office Mojo, Rotten Tomatoes. Those have always been my go-to places. I love reading film reviews, and I love watching box office numbers move. That's I'm a nerd like that. So the reviews started coming in. I was very, you know, kind of interested, you know, curious even. So I, I, that's when, you know, I was like, okay, maybe, I don't know. I reserved a ticket not too long ago as a just in case. So if I decide to see it, there it is. If I don't, it's an easy cancel. Not that big of a deal, right? And I have AMC A-list. So it's not like I'm losing any money on a ticket. Well, I go and see it last night and we're going to talk about it. So y'all know how I do my TikTok reviews. That's how, how this whole podcast thing started was me doing TikTok reviews, three minute reviews. You know, I go to the movie, I sit in my car and I tell people what I think, an immediate reaction, right? Which I still do. I give my immediate reaction. And then the next day I wake up early and I record a podcast kind of given, you know, all right, I've had some time to marinate and really think about it. Let's really talk about it. So I did my normal TikTok review for The Little Mermaid. Now, my TikTok reviews don't perform very well. They might break 10,000. Might. it? They don't get pushed to the For You page. They don't even get pushed to my followers. It's, it's kind of frustrating, but at the same time, it doesn't really bother me all that much. I'm fine with it because I do it for fun. And I love the small little comment sections sometimes. You know, that community that kind of just sticks around they look for them there I have certain followers that look for different types of content from me and I have followers who look for the movie reviews so they look for it they know about Thursday night Friday morning is to expect something new in terms of a movie review well I figured that the Little Mermaid TikTok review would do okay I figured it might do well it might go somewhere because Little Mermaid has been trending for weeks now right now, every once in a while, I have a TikTok review that kind of breaks the mold. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. I think hit somewhere between 100 and 200,000 views. Nefarious, I think hit like somewhere around 150K. So I, ooh, excuse me, that was a burp. So I figured this movie would do maybe 100 to 200,000. No, I was wrong. We've crossed 1 million views on TikTok. And last time I looked on Instagram was like 22,000. That's insane for me. Yes, I have a million followers, but certain pieces of content for me don't always do well. And I don't, I don't expect my film reviews to do well perform well on TikTok. Anything else, my controversial takes, stuff like that, I expect to do well. My film reviews, I expect nothing. I do it for fun and I do it for the people who are looking for it. But this has kind of just gone viral. Um, I just hit something. Yeah, it's gone viral. I got tagged on Facebook. So someone took my video off of uh, TikTok 
and they put a piece of it on Facebook, tagged me in it. So that was awesome. And um, yeah, I've never seen that before. I've never seen my videos end up on Facebook, even though I've had people tell me, oh, I saw your video on Facebook. I'm like, well, good for you. I've never seen a video of mine on Facebook. But that's the first time I've been tagged on Facebook. Instagram, that happens all the time. But wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that, that's been interesting. So yeah. And the, the reviews, not reviews, but like the response to the TikTok were what I expected. You know, I have people who saying, Oh, that's pretty much what I expected and not going to spend my money. Cause I know there are people who already made up their mind. They weren't going to spend their money. They just needed a re- an extra reason not to. Um, a lot of people are like, Oh, that is so disappointing. What do I do? And I'm like, watch the movie if you want. Like, I don't care. And then I have people who are just pressed. They are so offended, attacking me, attacking my skin color. The the usual. I haven't been called a racial slur by another black person in over a year. It's been a while. Um, I almost missed it. And uh, yeah, so uh, people are so pressed about this. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But the, I'm going to make them even angrier because here we go. One guy actually said, is this is this satire? Like, is this satire? Nah, bruh. Let's get into it. Do I need to give y'all a synopsis? Do you need a recap? Let's just go ahead and do it. So The Little Mermaid is about Ariel. She's a mermaid princess, the youngest daughter of King Triton, and she longs for the human world. She longs to experience the world where people walk on land, there's fire and sand and streets. And she longs for adventure, experience something different. She's been underwater her whole life, obviously, because she's a mermaid. Well, this desire is even more magnified when she sees Prince Eric and she falls in love. Now she's even more determined to experience life in the human world because not only are there new adventures, but there's a man and she's in love. There's adventures and love. I mean, you can't ask for more than that, right? Well, King Triton, her dad, finds out about these things and decides he's going to blow up her dreams literally kind of and now she's vulnerable to ursula the sea witch who decides i'm gonna make a deal with you young lady i will give you legs for three days in exchange for your beautiful voice but if you want to keep your legs for a lifetime you need to get that man to give you a true love's first kiss or true love's kiss or whatever by the uh by sunset on the third day She's like, okay, cool. Signs her name on the dotted line. Girl didn't even read the fine print. Now she goes up to the surface, but she can't talk. She's got to figure out a way to woo this man to kiss her by the third day. But she's also kind of like distracted because here she is fulfilling her dream. She's experiencing the new world, combing her hair with a fork. It's, you know, but, you know, and you ha- she has her, you know, sea creature friends trying to keep her focused. But bless their heart, they're dealing with a 16-year-old. Sebastian the crab, flounder the fish, and scuttle the seagull. Well, Ursula's like, this is not doing what I want it to do. She's getting a little too close to her goal. I'm going to mess things up. She messes things up and decides, hey, I'm going to go up on, you know, the land disguised as this beautiful woman named Vanessa, who kind of resembles Ariel, who kind of sounds like Ariel. That's because, you know, she's got her voice trapped in this little seashell necklace, which is actually kind of cute. And, you know, enamors Eric and tricks him into proposing so they can get married in secret. That way she has to be a fish forever. And if she's a fish forever, Ursula now owns Ariel and, you know, true love wins and Ursula gets stabbed in the chest with a ship and it's kind of cool, but that's the cartoon, right? Things are different here in this live action remake. So this live action remake directed by Rob Marshall, our cinematographer, director of photography is Dion Beebe. I don't think I've ever really mentioned a DP like that before, but I feel like it's important here. This stars Halle Bailey, Jonah Howard King, Javier Bardem, Melissa McCarthy, David Diggs, Jacob Tremblay, Aquafina, Jessica Alexander. Now, where to even begin with this? just to give you some um, context here of where I am coming from. So I was born in 1987. So I was two years old when the original Little Mermaid came out. So the Disney Renaissance, that, that period of Disney from 1989 to 1999, I grew up with it. I'm very familiar with it. it. It's my childhood. And as a millennial, I am prone to nostalgia and obsessing over the best and most wonderful and magical and bright and colorful parts of my childhood. That's who we are, right? So the original has a very special place in my heart. I saw the movie in theaters. I'm sure when I was younger, my mom, I'm sure, took me. I was a good kid to take to the movies. You know, I owned it on VHS. I'm pretty sure 
had Barbie dolls and I had the cassette tape soundtrack. When it came out on DVD, I got that. When it came on TV on Freeform or ABC Family, Fox Family, whichever, I sat down and I watched it. There was a television show for a little while. I'm pretty sure I watched that. You know, so this is very much a part of my childhood, this little mermaid thing. And it's kind of hard to come into this movie watching this remake not only having seen the original and not only having grown up with it, but having almost an intimate relationship with it. You know, this is something that's very much ingrained in my upbringing. It's personal. And I think that's how a lot of people see the original too. For millennials, everything about our childhood is so personal. The the details of it all. It's not just the big moments that matter, but it's the little details. And when the details aren't right, we notice Okay, so I think when you come for millennial nostalgia, it's a gamble. Now, I can't speak for, you know, Gen X nostalgia, you know, 80s kids, 70s kids. That's not my era. I'm an 80s baby, 90s kid. I can only tell you how, you know, my people will react when you mess with the elements of our childhood. It doesn't always end well. You got to get the details right because we know we've memorized them. Not just we don't just know we don't haven't just memorized. But when times get hard, we go back and we relive those moments and we live for the little details, not just the big moments, but the little details. We're millennials. okay? our adolescence was a little rough. Adulthood has been a mess, but we had the best childhood. So that's kind of where I'm coming from, right? So it's it's hard to separate the two because you want to. And in my head, I kind of wanted to separate the two, but it's hard. It's very difficult. So I'm going to tell you this. For those of you who are about my age, you're a millennial. You know this movie. You have it memorized. If you're like me, you probably fall asleep to it because the music is so familiar and it's so relaxing and so calming. You're going to notice the differences and you're not just going to notice the differences. I think you're going to feel them because you understand the impact that a lot of the little details had in some of these big moments. And I I just want to kind of prepare you if you're a millennial going into this movie, just be prepared. You're going there are differences. There are changes and you're going to notice them. Now, some of these things are necessary changes because we're dealing with live action, right? But other things, you know, uh, Disney and Rob Marshall do a shot for shot, almost recreating the images that we are so familiar with, but leaving out little details that you are going to notice. I, I'm, I don't know how else to say it, but, you know, we'll get into those changes, but I just want to put that out there. So you know what you're getting into and you also know where I'm coming from. Now, I think the big question on everyone's mind here is Halle Bailey. How does she do as an actress? Now, coming into this movie, I'd heard pretty much the same thing from different reviewers um, because they're everywhere. It's kind of hard to escape the reviews because they're popping up on Facebook now, Twitter. And, you know, I do social media pretty much for a living. So I'm all on social media. So I've seen it everywhere. It's kind of hard to escape it. With other movies that I've seen this year, I've been able to avoid reviews. I've been able to avoid commentary. This not so much. Absolutely. It's been, it's been impossible. So what I've been hearing before going into it is that it was visually dull, which I figured just looking at the trailer that it's, you know, the visuals just look very dull, very dark, um, not very crisp. The CGI just kind of looked kind of whack and that Halle Bailey gives a great performance. That's what I'd been hearing. So that those were my expectations. I wasn't expected to be wowed by the visuals of it all. With these Disney live action remakes, there's nothing to be wowed about. It seems like they really just take the quality down a notch. So even had I not seen the trailer, I still wouldn't have been expecting much. Just knowing Disney's history with these live action remakes, they seem to not care about the visual details. I don't know why. Well, actually, I have theories, but we'll talk about that later as well. And Halle Bailey, you know, everybody's been going on and on and on for different reasons about her being cast in this. You know, why did they cast a black girl? Why couldn't they find a whitehead, you know, not whitehead, a white redheaded ginger? You know, why the race swapping? Um, why are we do we have this thing in the first place? Why did they cast her of all people? Why couldn't they find somebody else? You know, just different questions and controversy surrounding her casting, a lot of it having to do with her skin color. Now, whether that's valid or not for me, it's irrelevant. I don't care. I understand where people are coming from on one side or the other. Now, racist people, they suck. We don't like them, but also people who are just firmly nostalgic and don't want their aerial to look different. I get that as well. But wherever you sit, I'm not here to argue that with you because I don't think it really matters. The question is, did Halle Bailey pull it off? 
And honestly, that's a very subjective answer. I think it really depends on how you step into the movie, also where you're coming from. And I think also, I don't know. For me, that's all I can tell you, right? So quick disclaimer here. Number one, there will be spoilers in this review. I'm going to make sure I put that in the caption because one of you keeps telling me to mention spoilers and I'm sorry, I'm working on it. I forget things. There will be spoilers in this review. Like, how can you spoil a remake? Again, remember, there are changes here. And two, I'm going to say some things that might piss some of y'all off. So if you're one of those people who thrives on getting your feelings hurt, I would step out. I would step out. So how did Haley do Bailey do? In my opinion, honestly, I'm very confused as to why she was cast in the first place. It has nothing to do with her skin color, but honestly, as an actress, she's very subpar in this. She's very subdued. She played it safe. There's nothing about her performance that screamed Ariel to me. Again, I know this character. I know her. I know her. And like, if this woman, if Ariel in all her glory walked up to me, I would know her. I know her personality. There was very little personality from Halle Bailey in this role. I thought, I I just thought she was very kind of bland, a little monotone. She was very much just a pretty face. Um, What's her name from the Peter Pan and Wendy Yara Shahidi, I believe who played Tinkerbell, Uh, the same kind of vibe. She was just a pretty prop. I felt like she was really just a pretty pop prop. So all the people saying, oh my gosh, she gives such a spectacular performance. Okay, where? I was waiting for it and it never happened. Um, her, the way she delivered her lines were very monotone. It was like she was playing dress up. She was playing cosplay. They told her to just look the part and not be the part, which I'm very confused because again, this is Rob Marshall directing. Rob Marshall did um Chicago memoirs of a geisha this is a man who has a stellar who he knows what to do with a stacked cast he knows what to do with a visually uh present project he knows what to do with musical numbers again this is the dude who did Chicago that movie won best picture in 2003 the movie came out in 2002 so i was very confused on the inconsistencies in the acting i didn't I didn't get, I didn't feel it from Halle Bailey. She didn't sell it for me. She didn't bring Ariel to life for me. She's beautiful. She sounds great. When she sings the songs, they sound good. They don't, it just, it, was it better than the originals? I don't think so. I mean, I don't think, I think her music was good, but is it good enough to replace the originals on my Disney bot playlist? No. Nah. You did good, baby girl. You did great. You sound good. Don't get me wrong, but like, I'm, I can't sit here and lie and say, oh, it was so much better than, than the original. Nah, her version, it sounded good. It was pretty, but it missed some of the nuance and the flavor and the character of the original. And that's what I was looking for when I was listening to her saying part of your world. I was, I was looking for that, the, the subtlety in the whispers and the longing in Ariel, the way she kind of burst up. It really felt like she was just performing on stage and not so much performing a musical theater number. Cause that's all Disney Renaissance movies are, right? They're just, you know, animated musical theater pieces. And I was looking for that and I wasn't getting that from her. Now, when Halle Bailey starts singing the Lynn, um, Lynn Manuel Miranda songs. Did I get his name right? She, it's, it's, it's completely different. She bodies those. She does very well singing a song that's more of an internal monologue because remember, Ariel loses her voice, right? And they kind of add a song in, you know, kind of as a, as a transition point when she's coming up out of the water and she's being rescued out of the water, taking her to the castle right before she meets the prince. Kind of a good transitional song. I like that part. I thought that was, you know, smooth. That was good. And she bodies that song. She sings it so very well. But that's the thing, though. There's a huge difference in this movie between the Lynn manuel Miranda songs and the original songs. The songs are so, the styles are so distinctly different. It's noticeable. And the production effort behind the songs are so different. When we get to the original songs, the production is so lax. It's like, I'm sorry. Again, I know these movies. I know what they look like. And the big, boisterous, flamboyant, almost campy number of um, Under the Sea. Apparently, that was supposed to be one of the best musical numbers of the movie. Where? I'm sorry. I mean, I guess you could say so. But it was so subdued and so boring. I mean, it was so... um blandly choreographed it was so it was like they were like we're not going to take too many risks we're not going to get too big it was almost like they said we can only do so much with the budget they have i almost want to look up the budget real quick and i just might but visually 
the original songs, the, the production was very lax. Um, it, it didn't give me what I needed to get. I mean, that's what I'm here for. I didn't know there was going to be new music. I, I think I knew of one new song in the movie before going in. But I really wasn't, I wasn't here for the new music. No one is here for the new music. It's a nice little addition once you get in, I guess. But no one's here. For, we didn't come for that. We came for the original songs. We came to sing along to the songs that we know. That's the whole point of coming into these remakes. I was looking forward to singing along to these songs I already knew. Now, it was a little difficult because, you know, Halle Bailey sings it in her own way. So the key is different. And I hadn't heard it in its entirety before seeing the movie. All I heard was that little piece from the um, the teaser trailer that they initially released. That was it. I tried not to listen to any of the music. I, I didn't because I, I wanted to go into this as fresh as I possibly could, as fresh as social media would allow me to. So getting back to Halle Bailey, right? So yeah, just a very kind of play it safe performance. I thought kind of bland, a little boring. Like there was nothing spectacular. There's nothing in her performance that said, yep, she was the girl for the job. Like you're telling me out of how many girls auditioned, she was the best you had? Really? Like, what were you looking for? What was the criteria? I have a hard time believing that she was the best girl for the job, that she was the best they could find. She was the one that won the role because she was the best. Like, I, anybody could have played that role. The way she played it, anybody could have played that. Anybody could have done that. She didn't bring anything to it that was her own. She was playing dress up. She was playing a very subdued, chilled out, older version of Ariel, not the bratty little teen with so much character and drama that we know, like the expression behind the eyes. I've seen some people write, her eyes said so much. What, like in a different language? I'm very confused because her eyes said nothing. Her, she was very much the same visually the entire movie. I mean, her eyes didn't change. There was no raising of the eye, but there was no expression in her eyes. Her eyes were very, she has beautiful eyes, don't get me wrong, but th there was just nothing there. She wasn't giving. I wasn't getting. It, it was... I wasn't satisfied at all with her performance. Now, moving on from her, we have Melissa McCarthy. Now, you have Halle Bailey, Melissa McCarthy, Ariel, and Ursula. These are the two people everyone is expecting the most from, right? Because you have your protagonist, you have your villain. And everyone loves a good Disney villain. I was talking to my roommate last night, talking about villains in different movies and how, you know, everyone wants to make a villain an anti-hero. Everyone wants to give a villain a reason as to why they are the way they are, almost making us sort of be angry with, a protagonist of sorts for wronging the villain. You know, that's what we had in Peter Pan and Wendy, where we had this, you know, vivid backstory of Peter Pan and Hook, where Hook and Peter Pan were boys together and Pan banished Hook. So we feel sorry for Hook and we're a little mad at Peter. I I'm sick of that. I'm sick of people trying to make villains anti-heroes. I want a villain that that's bad enough to give me slight nightmares, but charming enough that I would want to wear them on a T-shirt. You know what I mean? That's what I want from a villain. Now, the problem with Melissa McCarthy's Ursula, and it's not really her fault because she didn't write the movie, is we get a little bit of a backstory. We almost get a reason for why Ursula is the way she is. Y'all, I don't need a reason. It was unnecessary and it added nothing to the plot. It didn't add any tension. There was nothing to be seen from it. So this Ursula is actually King Triton's younger sister and he banished her. I don't remember if they said why she was banished. I didn't get, I don't remember that part, but it was such an unnecessary detail that added nothing to the plot. I mean, if you're going to add in that little detail, like it matters and expand on it, give me some tension between Triton and Ursula. Give me a reason to recognize their hate and dislike for each other, other than the fact that she's a sea witch and he's king of the sea. Like, there was no tension between the two. There was no um, real tension between Ariel and Ursula. She didn't even recognize her as her aunt kind of deal. Like, it was just, it was such an unnecessary detail. It added nothing. You're just giving me pointless information that's just bloating the story. So, and her Ursula, I think here's the problem. Again, we know these characters. We know the original movie. And the thing about Melissa McCarthy's Ursula, I think I would have enjoyed her Ursula had I never seen the original, had I never seen or heard Pat Carroll do this role. Pat Carroll is the original voice for Ursula. And I think with Melissa McCarthy, there were two things. Number one, it made me appreciate Robin Williams that much more. 
and just the way he expresses and emotes and he just kind of moves his face and his body. And he really just takes on a cartoonish form, which makes sense to me why they chose him for the genie, why they not only chose him to do the voice, but they also kind of used him to build and make the character and animate the character. They, they use so much of him to do that. I felt like if you had gotten maybe a female version of him to do Ursula, it would have been that much better. But Melissa McCarthy's Ursula, she's very chill. She's kind of sultry. We don't really see much. We see her, but, and we're going to talk about the, the visuals in a second. Um, but she's just, she does well. She does it very good. Honestly, I liked her better than Halle Bailey, but it's just not, it, it wasn't what I was expecting from Ursula. And that sucks. It sucks. Unfortunately, there is an original to compare this movie to, and there's no getting away from it. There's no any kind. Anytime you have an adaptation, you have to compare it to the original IP. You can't. You have to. There's no getting away from it. I'm sorry. It, it is what it is. But so her Ursula, I thought was good, but it just wasn't what I needed from Ursula. Now we get to poor unfortunate souls, and. That's my favorite song of the whole movie. You know, I was ready to start singing along and getting into it. And I did for a little bit at first until we got to the part and I was waiting for this part and I did not know, but they removed a piece of the lyrics from Poor Unfortunate Souls. The part where she's like, you have your looks, your pretty face. You know, that part, that whole explanation of, you know, how she's going to have to figure out a way to woo this man without her voice and, you know, basically telling her, you know, oh, having a voice is so unnecessary. Men don't like a lot of blabber. They think a girl who gossips is a, gossips is a bore. You know, that, that whole part was just chucked out of the song. And so we're missing kind of this moment where Ariel's just confused. Like, wait, I'm supposed to get this man to kiss me, but how am I supposed to do that without a voice? And that's why we get that part, like where Ursula's explaining to her, this is how you're going to make it work. That whole part is missing. And I'm sure there's some sort of feminist element to that. That's what I've read in the past. A lot of the changes that were made to this movie were to be more feminist and more pro-woman. I don't think that was poor pro-woman. Um, to just completely take out the part where Ariel has to realize, you know what, maybe I am, I'm going to have to figure out how to work this pretty face. I don't know, but that was my favorite part of the whole song. And they just took it out. And I was waiting to get sassy with Melissa McCarthy with it. Cause I felt like she would have bodied that. That whole part is just straight sass. And I felt like Melissa McCarthy would have done so well with it. The fact that they took it out sucked. Oh, it made me so mad. I was so upset. Uh, just, yeah. Like why, why would you do that to me? So her, her Ursula was okay. Now we get to the very end, you know, where Ursula gets the Triton from King Triton or Triton, whatever it's called, the little three prong thing that looks like a really large fork. So when she finally gets that thing and she grows to an, you know, an incredible size. And if you remember from the cartoon, it's such a moment. It's such a climactic moment. It's very anticlimactic here. You can barely see her. You don't really see much of her face. It's very rushed. And then, you know, it's, it's almost over before it starts. There's no real tension. There's no build. There's no sense of, oh my gosh, what's going to happen next? I mean, we obviously know what's going to happen next, but still, yeah. Now, Javier, 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 Javier Bardem, who plays King Triton, boring, wooden, stiff. Why are you here, sir? Moving on. Now we have Aquafina, um, who plays the voice of Scuttle. Scuttle is no longer a dude, and Scuttle is no longer a seagull. Scuttle, I believe, is what's called a gannet, and they made him a gannet so that he could swim underwater. Um. She was okay. She was funny. Honestly, the animated voices made this a little bit better. If you know, and it would have been better had they not been so visually awkward looking. So you have David Digg, who is Sebastian, and he I don't know. We're, we're just gonna leave that alone. And then Jacob Tremblay is Flounder. Now I know Jacob Tremblay from Room with Brie Larson, one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. And he's incredible in that. And he sounds very young. I think he's like approaching 13 now. So the vocally, I mean, the vocal vo voiceover, the, the whatever you call it. God, I'm losing my thoughts. They did okay. It was just visually they were hard to look at. Scuttle just looked, you know, like a bird. Which sounds crazy, right? This is supposed to be a live action remake and it's supposed to be more realistic, but you don't, you don't have to, it's Disney. Y'all don't have to be realistic. You could have made him look a little more cartoonish and I would have believed you. Like you didn't have to do all that. The same thing with Sebastian where he just, there's no emotion. There's nothing. It's, it's very Lion King. And you know, and then Flounder looks like he needs a dose of Narcan. Bless his little heart. Just, ugh. 
I don't understand. People were able to bully the creators of Sonic into changing the way the character looked. I don't know why we couldn't do that here with Flounder. I'm just saying, maybe it was too late. By the time the images came out, you know, what were we supposed to do? And then we have Prince Eric. Prince Eric, I thought, was okay. So Jonah Howard King, he was okay. My only issue with Prince Eric is that he just wasn't cute enough. I expected someone much more handsome. I expected someone to make me fold in my old age. You know, little me giggled. I wanted to fold. That was my only issue was Prince Eric, I thought, just wasn't cute enough. He's a good looking young man, but he wasn't Prince Eric for me. They gave Prince Eric his own song, which I understand there is a song he has in the Broadway musical, which is not the same song that's in this movie. This again is a song written by Lin-Manuel Miranda. He wrote all the new songs and even um, the changes that were made to the lyrics here, to the lyrics in this movie. It was such a pointless song. It didn't really go well together with the, the movie, and we're going to talk about the movie, the music in the movie, the, the differences between the um, original songs and the new songs. So just hang tight. All right, y'all. So this is where the spoilers are going to get a little heavy. So we talked about the acting, right? And I mentioned how they took out some of the lyrics from Poor Unfortunate Soul. You know, you've got your looks, your pretty face. And don't underestimate the importance of the body language. I was waiting for that part, y'all. I was ready to get sassy with it in the theater. I had no idea until I walked in, that part had been removed. Now, I knew they had changed a couple of the lines or one or two lines from Kiss the Girls. I did not know this about... um poor unfortunate souls this part is and the change was made by alan menken and lynn manuel miranda and i understand hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why? I'm not saying I agree with it, but I understand... What am I saying? I understand why he made the change. So the change really was for female empowerment. He didn't want young girls to listen to that and feel like they couldn't speak out of turn. Here's the thing, Mr. Alan Menken. I don't think you understand the power that this movie has. Maybe he's like a lot of creatives creatives that once he's done with something, he puts it on a shelf, he leaves it alone, and then goes about his business. Understandably so. Stephen King is like that. Once he's done with the book, he puts it on a shelf, he leaves it alone, he goes about his business. At one point, he called it, I think, Ashes. You know, that's just dust. You know, it's 
it doesn't mean anything because it's all about the process. That's the fun for a creative. It's the process, right? So once the product is done, you leave it alone, go about your business. So maybe quite possibly, I don't think he understands the longevity of a song like this for you to say, I don't want girls to feel like that. Sir, young girls have been singing this song since 1989. They know the lyrics. You want you think little girls came into this movie completely ignorant and blind, having never seen the original. You think these millennial parents weren't sharing this movie with their daughters? Are you, come on, bro. You think they didn't know? Of course we know that's the best part of the song it's the funnest part to sing because she goes the body language come on i don't want to hear it there has to be something more behind that there's no way this man seriously thought that these young girls coming in to watch this movie don't know the original lyrics ain't no way you're kidding me you think we haven't been bumping this song since night come on sir that's like i said it's the best part of the song and this Vox article illustrates it perfectly. This song gives us a clue into Ursula's mindset. It gives us an idea as to what she's thinking, how she views the world, how she views humans, how much she hates King Triton, and how desperately she needs Ariel to sign on the dotted line, right? Because we visually in the movie, we don't get a whole lot of Ursula. We, she doesn't get a whole lot of screen time. So we need this song to make an impact. Because the whole deal with Ariel, it's all about getting back you know, at King Triton, you know, messing with his youngest child is going to hurt him immensely. But the thing about this part of the song, because what happens before is that's when we have the deal being made about the voice. That's when she explains the terms of agreement. You want legs? You want to walk on land? I need your voice. That's payment. That's the payment is your voice. And she says, my voice, you know, and tells him, you know, you have to get him to kiss you. She says, but if I don't have my voice, how do I... and then we get that clue. Ariel's not so stupid. Ariel knows, hey, you're asking me to do something impossible. You're taking away my greatest weapon in my arsenal and you're asking me to do the impossible. So Ariel's not quite stupid. So that part comes in real quick. An act of desperation, one last ditch effort to get Ariel to sign on the dotted line because Ursula needs this deal to happen. We That gets taken out. That moment is gone and it sucked and I hated it. But, you know, the film tried to save itself by adding in a little hitch to the spell. So as Ariel is, you know, damn near drowning, going up to the surface because, you know, now she has legs. She can't breathe underwater. Um, Ursula is, you know, swimming back into her little cave hole thingy. And she mentions to her little eels who don't talk. Never mind that. But. She mentions to her two eels that, you know, there's a little hitch in the spell that she didn't mention that Ariel wouldn't be able to remember that she needs a kiss. That Ariel would get to the surface and suddenly forget that in order to complete the mission, she would need to get a kiss, which was such a dumb change. Now, because, again, we have that change with um, Ursula and Triton where, you know, Ursula is now a younger sister of Triton. Right. But they don't build on it. They don't expand on it. They don't dig into it. Even with this little slight change in the lyrics, not the lyrics. We're going to get to that in a second. So even this slight change in the plot, Ariel can't remember the mission. Nothing changes. Nothing changes. All of a sudden, you know, everything pretty much goes the way it went in the original movie with Ariel being so enamored by the human world, kind of losing focus, which she does in the in the original movie. She but she's on mission. She knows what she needs to do to get things done. But she's also just enjoying the moment. Right. But you have her friends, Scuttle, Sebastian and Flounder, who are, you know, trying to make moves happen. So nothing really changes with the plot. This little piece of information is just not important. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't add any unnecessary conflict. It doesn't make things harder for Ariel. Everything goes as it always has. However, that little tweak in the plot matters because they changed the lyrics and kiss the girl we all know about this they made mention of this before where they changed the lyrics to imply that consent is needed for the kiss which for a lot of us was just weird right when you first heard it for me it was weird like what do you mean you know we wanted to talk about consent because uh like ariel knew what she was getting herself into ariel literally signed her name on the dotted line She knew she was told, hey, I have to get a kiss in order to solidify this deal. So what gives? Well, that was the change. That was the tweak. They decided they wanted to update the song for a more modern audience and add in this little line about consent. But the only way that line of consent makes sense is if you change the plot, because if you add in this line about consent and imply that Ariel doesn't know a kiss is coming and 
and Eric needs to ask for it first is if you make it so that Ariel doesn't know that she has to get a kiss. But the only way to do that is to make it so that Ariel can't remember. I mean, I think if you wanted to do something like that, then you would have changed the spell. Make it so that Ariel has a spell and she has three days, but she doesn't realize that, hey, and they somehow figure out that in order to break the spell, a kiss has to happen. I think if they had done it like that, I think it would have been that much better, would have added more conflict. But instead, they kept everything else the same. They just tweaked this little thing that was completely unnecessary just so they could tweak the lyrics to make it for a modern audience. Because, because again, it's not like these same little girls have been listening to this music because we're not going to sit here and pretend that their mothers haven't been watching these movies with them. Because as any millennial I've ever talked to, it's one of those things like I can't wait until I have little girls and I can watch this movie with them and we can sit and we can quote it and sing it together. Like it's literally a millennial's dream. So you're not going to sit here and try to convince me that these little girls didn't already know the lyrics to the song didn't already understand that ariel had not only given consent she signed for it but whatever have you. I- i'm ranting a little bit as you can hear so that was like some of the bigger changes you have ariel who is now a niece of ursula because she's triton's younger sister the changes in the lyrics that were taken out because they wanted to be all women empowerment pro-feminism which it just it took away from some of the more important aspects of Ursula's character and also Ariel's strength. That's what I kind of got out of it. Now the music in general though. So we had our old songs and then we had some new songs. Now the songs that are missing from the original, we don't have the intro from the sisters, which we can't use in this movie because the sisters all have different names. Now before the sisters names all started with an A and they kind of rhymed right until we get to Ariel's name. Um, but in this movie, they all look like little businesswomen, you know, with their own jobs and roles and whatever seas they govern. And their names, they all have different names. They're just, you know, little business ladies. They're not cute, pretty and dainty with the opening number to honor their father. That that doesn't exist. There's this whole celebration of a moon. I forget what it was called. I want to say Carl Moon, but I don't think that's right. And they make that a big deal, but they don't expand on it. This is something that's very different from the original. And they kind of threw it in there to say, oh, look, we changed something, but they don't dig into it. Now, this movie was two hours and 15 minutes Yet they spend a lot of time just kind of dragging things and rushing through things. And I'm thinking you added a lot of these little new elements in here and you could have spent that time wisely digging and stretching these new moments to give us a reason as to why it should be here in the first place. And they didn't do that. So that song is missing. Another song that's missing that I mentioned this in my TikTok review. I didn't realize people were going to be so upset at the missing. I thought I was the only one that really loved this song. It's one of those songs that's kind of thrown in there, but it's so memorable, I guess. I don't know. Once a month, I found myself screaming for no good reason because I don't eat fish. Les Poissons, Les Poissons, how I love Les Poissons. Yeah, that song's not in the movie. Not in the movie. And I didn't realize that that would resonate with so many people because that's like the number one comment. I had one person say, yeah, I stopped listening to your review after you said Les Poissons and wasn't in the movie. And that was at the like the beginning of my review. Uh, yeah, so Les Poissons, not present, but we have three new songs. Uh, one of them, I think, is Uncharted Waters, which is Eric's ballad, completely pointless and purposeless. It's kind of weird and out of place. It's not needed. It adds nothing. It takes away. It's just, it's just thrown in there to give more time to the movie. We have a song that Ariel sings that's kind of an internal monologue because, again, she's on the surface. She's getting ready to go to the palace. They're getting ready to wash and clean her up and then present her to the prince. So she has kind of this internal monologue of her experiencing this new world and whatnot. And then we have this crappy little rap from Scuttle and Sebastian called The Scuttlebutt, which kind of reminded me of The Morning Report. I don't know if you remember that movie, that movie, that movie, that song. I know it was like a deleted song from the original Lion King. I think you can also see it in the Broadway musical. And I think it may have been in the remake. I can't remember, but that's what the song reminded me of. The, um, the, this is the morning report. It was so dumb and it was so stupid. There was no need for that. It was, it was so stupid because it, you know, this movie, that moment kind of ruined something so that song comes in um after you know the the morning after the kiss the girl fiasco where you know they don't get the kiss and you know ursula realizes holy crap that was way too close so she hatches a plan to go to the surface as vanessa and 
yeah, so Scuttle comes in and says, oh my gosh, I heard the prince is going to propose. He's decided, da, 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 you did it, girl, you did it. That's what the moment is supposed to be, but it's completely kind of ruined by this crappy little rap song. It's just so stupid and so dumb. Now, the music itself. So you have the Lin-Manuel Miranda songs and you have the original songs and you can tell the difference. I don't know who was thinking what, but there was no effort to really make anything kind of uniform and cohesive. These two songs, these sets of songs, I should say, have very distinct and different styles and sounds. I mentioned this in my TikTok review because the sound was so different in the in the songs. This because the style was so different. I mean, the new songs sound very much like Lin Manuel Miranda. And I'm sorry if you're a huge fan of his, but I don't know. All of his music is starting to sound the same. It's like he's a one note wonder. He he has one style and he works with that. And every movie he works for, with respect to Disney anyway, sounds like that so it sounds very much like him and they're good in their own respect but they don't really mesh well with the originals there was really no attempt to make this like a one cohesive film there's a huge difference the production behind the original songs those musical numbers were just flat but the production behind these bigger newer numbers were extravagant they were bolder they were beautiful that the it minus a scuttlebutt. We were just going to pretend like that never happened, okay? That song never happened. I never told you about that. We're just going to move on, okay? When that um, part comes on in the movie, when you go see it, close your eyes. You're, you'll thank me later, I promise. So it was just very inconsistent in that way. The movie in itself was, there were a lot of just inconsistencies visually and musically. You had the inconsistency in the music because you had the originals which had their own style and the new songs which had their own style. And at times it felt like we were watching two completely different movies. And then visually, now here's the part where I was just like not having it and it just made no sense to me. Okay, so this is Rob Marshall, right? And Dion Beebe. This is a a team. You have this, you know, from time to time, a director and cinematographer team. Sometimes you have a director and composer team, right? So if Steven Spielberg is there, chances are you're going to see John Williams, right? So Rob Marshall's around, chances are you might see Dion Beebe. And they worked on Rob Marshall's first two films, um, Chicago and Memoirs of a Geisha. Now, Chicago just blew everybody's mind, right? At the awards, I mean, it just did well. It performed well. Now, both of these movies won Best Cinematography at the Academy Awards in 2003 and 2006. So this dynamic duo, they know how to create visually stunning moving works of moving picture art, right? They know how to do that. They're good at it. Rob Marshall being a visionary, I would put him in kind of the same category as like Boz Lerman and Damien Chazelle. Very visually stunning. Now, not in the same extravagant, extravagant kind of way that these two guys are, but just in the terms that they're very visionary. It's almost like they, there's a line from a movie called The Book Thief, and I love it so much where he says, if your eyes could speak, what would they say? I feel like that's kind of their directing style. That's how they do things. They're very visionary in that way. And that's what I expect from Rob Marshall. And this is not his first go round with Disney. This is his fourth. So I think he understands what people expect from a Disney film. I, I don't know what happened. I, I really want to know. I want to know was because there's a clear difference between what was going on production wise above ground and what was going on below ground. Once you got into the editing room and you added in the CGI, there's a clear difference. There's also a clear difference in acting from Halle Bailey. Um, because underwater she's in and she's a little bit better above water. I don't know. Maybe it was just the awkwardness of the CGI for her. I don't think she's ever done anything like this before. I mean, you know, first go round and all that jazz. I don't know, but it's almost like there was two different sets of directors. You had Rob Marshall and Dion BB directing everything above ground. Cause that was very much them. And then everything below ground. Like who was that? Was that Disney kind of screaming behind the ears being the devil and the angel on their shoulder, telling them what to do, what not to do because visually underwater, it was very dark, very murky, kind of hard to see. Now I've had different people comment different theories 
theories as to why that could be. But the most common I'm seeing is, well, what if they're just trying to show the way Ariel feels about the underwater? We don't have to see it. We already know. We're, it's very clear from the get-go that Ariel longs to be someplace else. We don't visually need to see that. We already know from the jump when we meet Ariel that she's fascinated with a world beyond her own. So visually, they don't need to show us that. They don't need to give us this visual representation because we already had the visual clues. When we see Ariel, we meet her for the first time and she is just engrossed in this sunken ship. We already know. So that's not necessary. So no, I don't think this was them trying to, you know, show us Ariel's inner thoughts. Good save though. Nice try. This was just terrible CGI. This was just lax and lazy on their part. I know one person commented, I think all the money went into marketing and probably so. Now, why do I think they were so lax on the visuals? Because they can I don't think there's any need for this to be excellent, stellar, amazing, beautifully bold. I don't think they're not going for an Academy Award here. Where they're going is for a box office win. That's what they need. They need a box office win. They need quick cash grab money. They need to make it because Disney is not doing so well. It's interesting to see where Disney is right now creatively because it's kind of in the same spot they were in before 1989 where they were kind of just, you know, it was one box office dud after another. Creatively, they just weren't. It, if something wasn't hitting, something wasn't sparking, and then Little Mermaid came and bam, it was like something clicked and they got it. And for the next 10 years, we got something amazing from Disney. Now, I feel like that's kind of where Disney is right now, where they're in a creative rut. They're in a creative block. And this, unfortunately, is affecting them financially because they've had a lot of duds over the last however long right and i think that's why they're really banking on these remakes now i've had a couple people say oh you know the ip they don't want the copyright to expire we've got more than enough time for that plenty of time for the copyright to expire right and i don't think that's it either i think there these movies are being made for two excuse me two very distinct reasons and i'm going to upset some people with these reasons so buckle up or get out the car because here we go Number one, I think this movie is banking on black mothers being so enamored by Halle Bailey being black and being on screen that they're going to take their daughters to see this movie, whether it's good or not. I, that's it. I think this movie, number one, is banking on black mothers being so enamored with a black face on screen. They'll take their daughters to see this movie. And number two, millennial nostalgia. They are banking on us being so nostalgic and so obsessed with their childhood which we are, that we'll buy a ticket regardless. But the unfortunate part here is that Disney doesn't have a good track record with respect to how they respect our childhood. They seem to keep wanting to disrespect it with these remakes, giving us these less than stellar, less than perfect that don't quite measure up to what we knew and loved as little kids. Here's the thing about live action. I mean, you can do as well with it as you can. And Disney has shown that they can do a live action remake. 101 Dalmatians with Glenn Close. Glenn Close. Wonderful, right? Um, Cinderella, I think, came out 2015. Wonderful. Beautiful. Oh, my God. It was perfect. And, you know, there was that one little detail that everybody was worth the dress. But, again, these are not the, the Disney Renaissance. This isn't millennial nostalgia. This isn't recent. These are movies that were out, you know, around the time my mom was born and before she was born. We're talking about the movies from my childhood. So these details are very fresh. And, you know, there's not much room for change or reinterpretation of the details. And Disney, for whatever reason, has shown that they really don't care about getting the details right, getting the moments right, and, you know, giving us something to look forward to. Because as many people have said, well, it's a children's movie. No, homie, this is a millennial nostalgic cash grab. This isn't for your kids, honey. This is for us. They're banking on us buying tickets. Kids don't buy tickets. Okay. Kids don't drive. Millennials buy tickets. What they're banking on is us being so nostalgic that we'll buy a ticket regardless. But if that doesn't work, they're hoping black mothers will be so enamored by it all, they'll buy a ticket anyway. They need a quick cash grab. That's why this movie exists. Because other than that, I cannot see a reason why is I can't see a reason as to why this movie exists. Now, Halle Bailey, she's beautiful. She's beautiful. And she has a beautiful voice. But 
Now, I, I've talked about a couple of movies on this podcast before that were kind of mid this year. They were just okay, but they were kind of saved by a good performance. The first one that pops into my head would be A Good Person. The movie itself was kind of mid, but Florence Pugh, Morgan Freeman, wow, what a duo, right? They completely saved that movie. They make it worth it. They make it worth it. Mm. Halle Bailey doesn't make the movie worth it. And in that, and not just that, because this is what makes it worse, because this is a remake and this is a remake nobody asked for. So not only does she not make the movie worth it, her performance just isn't there. She doesn't make the movie worth it. She doesn't make the movie justifiable. Her performance isn't good enough to justify this movie's existence. And I think that's what a lot of people are looking for. Give me a reason. Justify this movie's existence. You know, prove me wrong. With everything that happened with the controversy surrounding this movie, all of the things that people were saying, all the hateful things, the racist things, you you would think that they would put out something that would just shut up the haters. You you think they would put out something that would, you know, make them go stand in a room and cry about how wrong they were. You think they would put out something that was spectacular above and beyond, something that would make me question my love for the original, but they didn't do that. They gave us this mediocre cash grab because again, this movie isn't for your children. This movie really isn't for me. This movie isn't for anyone. What they're hoping is that a certain demographic of people, certain two demographics of people will buy tickets no matter what, because Disney needs the money. Now, remember at the beginning, I told y'all people were pressed about this, right? Let me read some of the TikTok comments that I got. One lady said, it was beautiful. You're a poor, unfortunate soul, especially as a black woman. Another comment said, number one, sounds like a white woman shapeshifted in a black woman's body. Two, funny how all of the comments are from white people, a little sus. Okay, I don't know what's wrong with people. I mean, I kind of know what's wrong with people. I think it's a bit of a cultural thing. This this thing that's this pressure that's put on a lot of young black kids to believe that being black means being a certain way, that you have to think a certain way, that you have to fit in and do this and that and the third. And then you have a couple of us who were just a little bit outside the box, who were just a little bit different, kind of doing our own thing, doing things that were st- stereotypically white people things. And we got crap for it, but we survived. We're still dealing with a little bit of that trauma from that bullying. Let me tell you, having grown up like that with a lot of that bullying, it took me a long time to make black friends. And the black friends that I made were actually outside of school. They were actually part of a college prep program, which made a huge difference because it, it, one, it kind of broke the stereotype in my head that not every black person is out to hurt me because that was my experience up until that point. And number two, that, you know what? I'm not the only one. There are other black kids out here like me who are in, who are into and interested in doing different outside of the box, you know, non-stereotypical things who want to make something of themselves, who want, who want a big future, who want to go on to college. Like if, if it was something I needed to see and experience. And honestly, it was very healing for me. And that was something I experienced, I'd say like 10th and 11th grade, big deal for me, huge deal for me. So I don't know who needs to hear this. I don't know what little black kid is out there that might listen to this. So let me tell you, if no one's ever told you, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not the problem. You don't need to change. Don't go through the, don't make the effort of changing yourself to please people who don't like you, who don't even take the time to really get to know you, who are so quick to want to beat you down and bring you down to their level because they're afraid to step outside the box. They're afraid to do something different. They're afraid of being called a racial slur by their own black peers. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Be you, be that person. Even if it means being by yourself and being alone for a little while, it's worth it. I promise. That's all I want to tell you. There's nothing wrong with you. You are perfect just the way you are. The fact that you're interested in different things, things that might not be as interesting to your other black peers, that's okay. That's okay. Be that person. Be you. Walk in your own shoes. And don't let anyone tell you that walking in your own shoes is a bad thing. 
But that's all I wanted to say about that part. Now, there was another comment I got, and I really wish I had saved it. But it was something along the lines of, oh, I was about to go off, but then I saw who that was. I don't know what that is supposed to imply. It could, it could mean a lot of things. But the fact, well, I was about to go off. Like, what you scared for? What you already, he already made a video because I saw his account. He'd already made a comment, uh, a video, you know, praising the movie himself, which is fine. I don't care if you like the movie and you enjoyed it. Good for you. Like I'm, there's nothing in this review that's telling you don't go see this movie. I'm just giving you my thoughts here. So he already made a video explaining how he loved the movie, but yet was so offended by the fact that I had a different opinion that he was about to go off. Sir, if you've got something to say, say it. What are you scared of? It's not going to make, it's not going to change my mind. You're not going to hurt my feelings. Homie, I don't care. There's enough room on this planet for people who have differing opinions. For those of you who are so pressed over someone not liking this movie and speaking especially to black women, because that's where a lot of the ire seems to be coming from, at least when it's directed towards me, this movie was not made for you. And it was not made for your child. You're, no one was thinking about you or your child when they were casting Halle Bailey. They were thinking, Disney was thinking, okay, we need a microwave hit. We need something that's going to generate a lot of money really fast. What can we do? And here you go. That's what this movie is. Disney doesn't care about you. Disney is using you and your child to make a whole lot of money really, really fast. Now, I expect this movie box office wise to do relatively well. I figured it'll probably be number one for the next one, two, maybe three weeks. I know another Spider-Man movie is coming out soon. And then there's a Transformers movie coming out soon. So, I mean, the summer is pretty jam packed, honestly. So who knows? But I expect this box office wise to do very well. But I also, but then I expect towards the end of the summer, the movie's going to kind of fall off the radar. People are going to stop caring about it. I don't expect this movie to have the longevity that the original Little Mermaid has. I don't expect that at all. So, I mean, is it going to hurt my feelings if the box office does well? No. Am I trying to prove a point or stop it from doing? No, I'm just talking. It's okay for people to have different opinions. If you are so pressed by somebody thinking differently than you, you're the problem. And that's all I'm going to say on that. Want to advertise on this podcast? Check the episode description to see how you can be featured on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to me rant and rave about another movie. Just to sum it all up, a remake of any kind or an adaptation should be just as good as or better than the original However, The Little Mermaid 2023, directed by Rob Marshall, starring Halle Bailey, the final product does not justify this movie's existence. Again, we're given all these different remakes from Disney, basically remaking the Disney Renaissance. No one asked for any of this. And there's no nothing in this final product that justifies or says, you know what, I'm glad. They, there's nothing about this movie that says, you know what, I'm so glad this is here. I left the movie thinking, why did they do this? What was the point? So those are my kind of final thoughts to sum it all up. Let me know if you're going to go see it. If you're taking your kids, let me know what your kids think. Because again, I'm a grown adult. So a child's perspective, I think would be very interesting. So if you think, take your children to see it, let me know what they think. If you've seen it, if you're not going to see it, I want to hear it all. So let me know what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what's coming up. So next week, Boogie Man, I'm so excited. I love a good scary movie and, you know, what's lurking in the closet under the bed kind of thing. A little bit of a ghost story. Like I look forward to it. I'm so excited. So Boogie Man is coming out next week. And then the next week I'm going to see Transformers. So the next week, which will be the, the week in two weeks, which will be the first full week of June. It's going to be a bit of a weird week because I have VBS, Vacation Bible School, and I'll be watching Small Babies. And I'm looking forward to holding small babies. However, that means you're not going to get your normal Friday episode at noon. You're probably going to get it at 6 p.m. So I'll be um, watching small babies early Friday morning, which means I won't get to record in the morning. So I'll actually get home, do the thing, get it to y'all by six. That's the goal. And then the next week is actually my birthday week. And the only movie that I can think of that's coming out that week that I really want to see is The Blackening. Ah, uh, 
I can't wait to see that movie. I'm so looking forward to it. And then the next week is going to be weird again. I'll be actually be out of town. So I don't know when I'll get an episode to you, episode to you um, that week. June is such a busy month for me. It's, it's ordinarily not busy, even though it is my birthday month. But normally I don't do anything and I don't care. I mean, I'm not doing anything for my birthday this year either. But this is going to be a pretty busy month for me. So I'm going to do my best to get you episodes and whatnot because I enjoy doing this and it's fun for me. So thank you so much for all your love and support. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, check the description, the description below. Let me know what you think. If you're taking your kids to see it, what did your kids think? I'd love to hear a child's perspective. Do not let me deter you. If you want to see the movie, go see it. Buy a ticket. Knock yourself out. And I hope you enjoy it. And I mean that sincerely. I hope you enjoy it. And I hope, you know, it fills whatever nostalgic hole needs to be filled. Now, until next time, I love you. Have a great weekend. And I'll see you soon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.